A little slow with my mic there. Happy New Year, everybody. We're so glad you're here today. Man, it's so good to be with you. My name's Ethan. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. Maybe you were here Christmas Eve. In that case, welcome back. We're glad you're here as we cook off the new year. Hope you've rested a little bit. Maybe you've celebrated a little. I'll tell you what I'm celebrating today. I'm celebrating that this morning when I got up, it was 50 degrees warmer than when I got up to come to church the last time I came to church. So that is good news today. It is 56 out there. So I expect you like me will be down at Boone Lake sunbathing this afternoon. It is awesome. I am glad for this warm weather. We're kicking off a new series today and I am so excited about this new series. In fact, I'm feeling just a little bit awkward. I woke up this morning with this just really um, clear sense uh, that, that has me feeling a little uncomfortable. Because months ago, when we planned this series, uh, we, we planned it because we thought it would be good for the whole church. Like, I promise that was our intention. But this morning, I just woke up with this clarity that this series is for me. Like, I am the one who needs the message that we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. So, I don't know what the rest of y'all are doing. Um, No, no, seriously, I think it's going to be helpful for everybody. Uh, We're talking about prayer. We're talking about this truth, that wherever you are in life, whatever situation you find yourself in, God's Word has something to teach you about prayer. And I'm just showing up today with this sense that there is something that needs to happen in my life from what we're doing over the next few weeks. And I hope it's true for you too. uh, But even if it's just me, like I'm excited about this series for what I'm going to get out of it. And um, each week we'll talk about a different place you might be. You are here. And then we'll talk about what the Bible teaches us about prayer from that place. And today... um, we're starting with what I think is the most common place you might be in your prayer life. Certainly it's the one that I've been in the most, uh, and it's the one I hear about the most. And the place we're talking about today is a place that I would call stuck. That's the place we're talking about today. We're talking about being stuck. I will just tell you, I hate to be stuck. Anybody read those news reports of the thousands of people that got stranded in airports right before Christmas when the, when the cold weather came so much? They shut down airports all over the country. I heard those stories and I just thought about how much I would hate to be stuck when I was trying to get home for Christmas. Sam Guy was scheduled to preach today. Sam was gonna kick off the series for us. Sam is stuck with car trouble in Florida. He'll make it back eventually. He just didn't make it here today. And he, he, he wishes he could be here today because nobody wants to be stuck. I don't even like being stuck in my own home. When we lived in Maryland, uh, we lived uh, on a pretty major road. It was an emergency route, and so they plowed it. Like it never, like no matter how much it snowed, our road was always plowed. But our driveway was kind of a long gravel driveway. So if we had a good snow, we could be pretty stuck. And so what that meant was as soon as I woke up, 
I was out there shoveling our driveway because I hated being stuck. And I would, I would finish shoveling the driveway. I would come in. I would celebrate. We're clear to the road. We can get out. And Betsy would be like, but isn't everything closed? Like, where are we going to go? Everything is closed. All the side, like our road is the only plowed road in the whole county. What do you mean we're not? I, but it didn't matter. Didn't matter if there was nowhere to go and the power was out and the grocery store was closed. I just didn't want to be stuck. I love puzzles. I do uh, Sudoku and that stuff. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You do these crossword puzzles, that kind of thing. Love that kind of thing. Uh, and, 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 And there's a moment though in every puzzle where that I just hate. It's the moment where you get stuck, right? You've tried all your things. You've worked all your angles. You've filled in all the little bubbles and thought about every approach and you're just stuck. And different people approach that moment differently. You know, some people, they get to the moment where they're stuck and they just, they persevere and they push through and find the solution. Not me. I'm just like, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to be stuck. And so I just set it aside. Maybe I'll come back to it later and then you're unstuck. But, but I'm not gonna just stay. I don't like to be stuck. But, Worse than puzzles, worse than being geographically stuck, worse than being stuck in an airport. What I don't like is being stuck in my life. I don't like to be stuck. And some of you know what I'm talking about, right? This is where you see in your life the possibility for progress. You just aren't making any. You see other people in similar situations who seem to be moving forward in their personal life or moving forward in their professional life or moving forward with their family and you're not, you know. You look back at last year and you're not more faithful, you're not funnier, you're not taller or better looking, no increased integrity or self-discipline, you're just in the same place you were You're just stuck being yourself. I hate to be stuck. And most people I know, when it comes to prayer, feel at least a little bit stuck, you know? When I think about being stuck in prayer, I think about traffic jams of the previous century. I know it sounds ominous to say the previous century. Some of you were there. I'm just talking about the 80s and the 90s, okay? The 80s and the 90s. But for those of you who don't know this, I need to tell you a little bit about what it was like to be in a traffic jam in the 80s and the 90s. In the 80s and the 90s, if you were stuck, you were stuck. And you had no idea how long you would be stuck. You didn't know why you were stuck or what the problem was that was causing you to be stuck. You didn't know if it was a little bit of construction and the truck would move out of the way soon and you would be unstuck or if it was some accident that was going to take hours to clean up. You had no idea. In the 80s and 90s, when you were stuck in a traffic jam, you also had no idea if there was a better way. I mean, sure, probably, let's say if you're going on some multi-state trip, you probably had gotten a map. For those of you young people, if you don't know what a map is, just find somebody older. They'll tell you what those are. We used to have these things. But you probably had a map. But if you had a map for something three states away, maybe you kept a road atlas. I always had a road, kind of got an updated road atlas every year for Christmas because you had, so you wouldn't, you know. But, but it only showed the major roads. If you were on some interstate highway three states away and all of a sudden you were stuck, you were just stuck. 
Like you had no clue. And everybody you could see, hundreds of cars in front of you, they were all stuck. Everybody you saw behind you, they were all stuck. I remember being stuck one time on the side of the road, four or five cars up, there was a guy in an RV. He got out of his RV, climbed the ladder, and just started hollering out, if anybody needs a bathroom, you can come use mine. And you're like, that's super weird, right? Except for suddenly there was a line, 20 people long, because we had been stuck. And, and sometimes like a, a police officer or an emergency vehicle would come some driving up the shoulder of the road and with their loudspeaker be there be like, sorry folks, just start turning around wherever you can, go the other way. You know, this road isn't gonna open for days. But until that happened, you had no idea, right? And you might be able to look off and you would see another road where people weren't stuck, but you don't know how to get to that road. Like, you, you don't know, you don't know. You know, you could change lanes. You do that thing, right? You change lanes because the one next to you, it's moving. They're not stuck. And so you would change lanes and you'd make the guy behind you mad. You'd cut him off and change lanes and you would go 20 yards and then you were stuck. Except now the guy behind you hates you. That's the only thing that's different. You're still stuck, right? And that is how most people I know feel about prayer. I've talked to a lot of people about prayer over the last 20, 30 years of my life, you know. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, if you look back five years ago, 10 years ago, would you say your prayer life is better or worse or just about the same as it was 10 years ago. And I just want to tell you, easily 8 out of 10 times, easily 80% of the time, the answer is kind of a little shrug and just, oh, about the same. I guess that's true. My guess is that's true here today, that roughly 80% of us would say, yeah, my prayer life is about the same. You know what you call it when something is the same for a decade? Called stuck. Yeah. Like, like last century's traffic jam. We're stuck. Everybody around us is stuck. We don't know how long we're going to be stuck. We don't know how to get unstuck. We're sort of hoping that some cop will drive by with a loudspeaker saying, Yeah, you're going to be here a while. Just relax. But then the, the GPS was invented, right? And suddenly being in a traffic jam is a completely different reality. You know why you're in the traffic jam. You know how long you're going to be in the traffic jam. You know how long the traffic jam is. You know how many people are in the traffic jam. You know if you need to seek an alternate route, it tells you to seek an alternate route, and it tells you what the alternate route is. I was on a highway not long ago, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, thousands of us barreling down the highway 70 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden, me and everybody else, we all took an exit that none of us had ever gotten off before. We took the exit, we turned right, we took the first left on this rickety little road. You'd, none of us would have ever, it looked like a driveway, but hundreds of cars turned down this road. We wiggle through the backwoods for a little while. We hit a main road, we turn left, we turn right, and we're back on the highway. None of us know why. We don't know if there was an accident or a construction, just the little computer told us that if you don't want to be stuck, go this way and that way and go this way and you're unstuck. Hundreds of us driving, I mean, I could imagine if I was some old timer who was driving by farms and pigs, you know, looking out his front door, thousands of cars driving by his front door. He probably hadn't seen that many cars in 20 years on that road. All of a sudden now they all were. And here's the thing, if we'll pay attention to God's word, that's what God's word will do for us in prayer. 
Instead of just staying stuck and being stuck and wondering how long we're going to be stuck, we can actually go to God's word and say, hey, I'm stuck. And God's word actually anticipates the hazards and challenges that get us stuck in our prayer life. And that's what we're going to do each week. We're going we're to go to God's word with one of the ways we get stuck in prayer and, and get some wisdom. You are here. You're stuck like this. So pray in, in this direction. We'll talk about being stuck in prayer because you're just too busy. Who's got the time? We'll talk about being stuck in prayer because you get distracted and you can't stay engaged in a, in a posture of prayer like you wish you could. We'll talk about getting stuck in prayer because of sin. A lot of us are stuck in prayer today, and we don't know it, but the reason we're stuck in prayer is because of our own sin. And we've been stuck for a long time, and it's time just to deal with it, and we can get unstuck. And today, we'll, we'll talk about a pretty common one, and that is we're stuck in our prayer life because we never learned how to pray. We never, nobody ever taught us how to pray. We're going to go to prayer school today. That's why I got the little chair. We're all going to, we're going to prayer school today. Now, now, you might think to yourself, prayer school? Like, do I really need to go to prayer school? Well, in Jesus' day, prayer school was a very common place to go. People anticipated that they would need to learn how to pray. The, the rabbis of Jesus' world taught their disciples how to pray, and Jesus was no different. One of my favorite little interactions is in Luke chapter 11. The disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John's disciples taught, just like, just like John taught his disciples how to pray. They needed a little prayer school. See, they were disciples, and disciples is just the word for students. And they're like, they're like, Jesus, we need to go to prayer school. Could we be your prayer students? And here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Man, this is such a cool thing about Jesus. Because uh, some of you are out there thinking, maybe you've been a Christian for, you know, a while, maybe a year, maybe, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 50 years. And you're thinking to yourself, if I went to Jesus and told Jesus I needed to go to prayer school. He would be so disappointed in me. I've been a Christian so long, I, by golly, I sure should have figured it out by now. But that's not what Jesus did at all. When his disciples went to him and said, would you be our prayer teacher? Could we go to prayer school? Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Let me, let me teach you how to pray. And Jesus didn't just teach there in Luke 11. He taught about prayer lots of places. Today, when we go to prayer school, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. This is in the middle of a larger sermon Jesus preached that we called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of that sermon, there's a little lesson on prayer. So, so let's, go to, let's go to prayer school together, and I'll bring Matthew chapter 6 with me. And if, if you want to look at this in a Bible, maybe you brought a Bible with you, you could turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you need a paper Bible, uh, we've got them in underneath the chairs in front of you. I'm so excited. Uh, last year, we did a series on Hebrews, and for that series, we ordered new Bibles for the whole sanctuary so we all would have paper Bibles. And I'm so excited. It was a Christmas miracle. The Bibles that we ordered in February finally came in in December. Yay! Um, so we're so excited. Um, but uh, they're here. So if you need a paper Bible, they'll be, they're under the chairs in front of you. If you want to find it on your phone, you just Google Matthew 6. We'll be starting 
in verse five, you'll be able to find it, but let's follow along and go to prayer school with Jesus. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Lesson one, if you're praying to try to impress other people with how fancy you sound when you pray, you're doing it wrong, Jesus says. So just don't do that. Oh, okay, well, look at us. That's pretty, that makes sense. Okay, we're learning stuff. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Okay, so we don't need fancy words. We don't need lots of words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, that's good. We got that. And then he's going to give us a sample prayer. Uh, let's, let's pray it together. Let's read that together. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. We'll start with our Father in heaven. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into trials, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus comments on the prayer. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. This is the prayer that Jesus teaches as lesson one in his prayer school. Some of you already know this prayer. You might even have it memorized. You might know a name for it. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Our Father. Some people call it the Model Prayer. And, and today, what we're just going to do is we're going to look at it line by line and, and see a couple things we can learn to get unstuck in our prayer life. And then at the end, we're going to have a little homework. No surprise there, right? It is prayer school. We all remember that school came with homework, and so we'll have a little, little homework. All right, let's start with the opening line. Our Father in heaven. Uh, Jesus begins our lesson by reminding us to whom we are praying. And, and the interesting thing is the prayers of the Bible use lots of different terms to address God. There's lots of different language. When you pray to God, lots of different names. One of my favorites, we have some prayers that use this language. They call God the Lord of heaven's armies. I love it. And I must confess, when I am in a really tough spot and I'm really depending on the sovereignty of my God to come through, I love to pray that way. Oh, Lord of heaven's armies, I need you now. I love that. But Jesus says, if you get to the first name he wants us to learn is the name Father. And, and, and it's a very familiar name. It's almost like our, our word, Daddy. It's this super intimate family name for Father. And I can just imagine one of the students being like, Jesus, Jesus, I got a question. And, and, and Jesus says, okay, great, what's your question? And he's like, are you really saying that we can talk to the God who made heaven and earth, the sovereign Lord of all the universe, and just approach God as, as our loving Father? Like, really? And I think Jesus would say, yeah, yeah, really. 
God, God is your loving father. You're, prayer is, is just an intimate conversation between a child, a daughter, a son, and a father who, who loves them and can't wait to hear what they have to say. And, and listen, I know, um, and I just want to speak a word. I know for a lot of us, our relationship with our father is complicated, and maybe that the whole image, the whole notion of fatherly love is to you kind of a dark notion because a lot of fathers in this world don't live up to the, to the job description, you know? And I just, if that's your story, I just want to first say I'm so sorry, but I just want, to, want you to know that God is inviting you to a new vision of what fatherhood is. I know even for my own boys, I would hate it if, if their understanding of the fatherhood of God was, was limited by the quality of father I was, because I haven't always been the, the best father, you know? And, and I want them to know that the fatherhood of God is actually bigger and better than any human father. And so, so and God knows that too. And, and, and God knows about that pain. And, and there's a new opportunity for you to build a relationship that kind of the way it's supposed to be and to be part of a family, you know. Speaking of family, again, while we're learning from this first line, notice it says, our father. And you're going to discover, those of you who are grammar nerds, you're going to discover there's lots of plural language in this prayer. Our Father, we pray, give us. And this is a reminder that if God is our Father and you are God's child, you are God's daughter, you are God's son, that means you are part of a family. That you are related not just to God, but to all those who call on your heavenly Father. It's already a lot to learn, just in that first line, isn't it? All right, let's look at the next one together. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll tell you a little funny story on, uh, on Sam Guy. So whenever I don't preach, whoever's going to preach, they have to preach the sermon to me like weeks in advance. So Sam and I met mid-December and we were talking through this text and talking through this week and he was practicing the sermon. And when we got to this section, I could tell he was just kind of chomping at the bit a little bit because he didn't exactly love this translation. And, and, and Sam's a super smart guy and he studied Greek and studied Hebrew and all that. So that happens to you. And I was like, okay, Sam, so tell me what's going on. What do you got? And, and he said this line, I love this line, and it's one of my favorite lines. He said, well, the problem is, Ethan, that the, the grammar in English obscures the grammar in the original Greek. And that, that can, isn't that a delightfully nerdy sentence? Like, that's a, that's a wonderfully nerdy sentence. God bless Sam Guy. Uh, he's awesome. And, and the thing is, of course, he's right. It, it is true. And I said, well, you tell me. What are you noticing? And I, I knew what he was going to say because I'd studied the same thing myself. And so he, he said, he says, the problem is, in English, this, 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 this line just comes off sort of like some super fuzzy hope. You know, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Like, well, I sure hope it works out, God. And he says, but the, it obscures that in the text, this is the imperative mood. These are, just like when we say, give us today our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, we are calling upon God to act. And I said, yeah, you're right. That's what's happening. How, how would you translate it? And he said, well, well, maybe we could make it say something like this. So later we're going to pray this together and we're going to use Sam Guy's translation because I think it's a good one. He says, we could make it like this. God, make your name holy. Make your kingdom come. Make your will be done. We are calling upon God to act in the world and to engage with the world. 
And what is it we are calling upon God to do? Well, first, we are calling on God. That this, this hallowed just means to be holy. That means to be set apart. God, make it clear in the world that you alone are worthy of worship. That you alone are holy and all the other things we worship, all the other things we put first in our life, all the other things that we give our allegiance to are nothing. You, God, alone are holy. God, make your reign, your rule real in in our world, God. In our world that's filled with tyrants and people who use their power to destroy others. God, if you could only be in charge. Make your reign real and make your will be done, God. Not our will, not our petty, selfish intentions, but your good and perfect will on earth as it is in heaven. We're calling upon God to act. And I'll just tell you something interesting about this line from the prayer. The scope of this line is so cosmic, right? Like clearly we're we're thinking of the whole broken world. But I just want to tell you from personal experience that while the scope of this line is cosmic, for me, the immediate effect of this line is always personal. Like I feel like every time I pray this prayer, I immediately sense God's spirit saying, okay, great, and we're going to start with you. You want God's name to be holy, set apart, unique in the universe? Well, first, you need to make sure that God is set apart and holy, unique in the universe in your life. You want God's reign to be established? Great. Well, let's ask who's in charge of your life, Ethan. Like every time I pray this prayer, I'm thinking about the whole world and the spirit of God says, great, we're going to start with you. You want God's will to be done on earth? Okay, great. Let's start with your life. It gets real personal. The prayer is cosmic. The effect is personal. Speaking of personal, the the next line of the prayer is super personal too. Give us today our daily bread. Isn't that interesting? We go from the cosmic, may your will be done on earth as is in heaven, to the personal. Give us today our daily bread. Now, some of you, though, you were the, you know, you were the star pupil, and you'd be in your chair. You'd be going like, ooh, 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 and, and, you know, Jesus would be like, all right, okay, what do you have to say? And you're like, well, it's personal, but it's not that personal. And you're like, what do you mean by that? Well, it's just us. Not give me today my daily bread, but give us our daily bread. Even here in the most intimate line of the prayer, thinking about my own food to eat, it reminds me that I am not the only hungry mouth. I will say, I think this line is one that we probably have to work a little harder to understand than Jesus' initial audience did for a couple reasons. One, because they knew that sometimes they weren't sure where that day's food was going to come from. And many of us are blind to that reality. Many of us would never think to pray this prayer. We would, it would never occur to us to pray that we would have enough food for today. Because we have plenty of food. We have food for today and tomorrow and the next day and like the next month. And you know, like we're, we're good, you know. 
Like, we're doing that thing where we're checking expiration dates because we've got food in the house so long. It's been here a year and a half. Yeah, we can still, we've got tons of food. That's why noticing that plural is so important. Give us today our daily bread because it reminds us that while you may have enough food for today, for plenty of people in our world, this prayer is still an urgent, practical prayer. We made part of the focus of our end of year offering was our ministry uh, to feeding the homeless down at West Main. And, you know, what I love about that ministry is that ministry, they just do it every week, you know. We, we kind of give them a special focus every once in a while, um, but they're there every week. They'll be there tonight uh, because our city is filled with hundreds of people who are praying that prayer today, and they actually don't know whether they're going to get enough food for today. And so, at least for today, we're going to show up and make sure that we are the answer to that prayer, right? We're going to make sure, at least for today, they get enough food. Another reason that we have trouble learning from this line of the prayer is because it isn't the prayer we want to pray. We really wish this line was not, God, give me enough for today. We wish the prayer was, God, give me extra. Give me abundance. Give me wealth. That's the prayer we want to pray. And I get it. It's the prayer I want to pray too. And I just, man, I tell you, I'm sitting here in class and I'm not doing the ooh, 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 call on me. I'm doing the thing where you're kind of looking down, you know, and hoping you don't get noticed. Because I'm just like, oh, okay. Could I really pray that prayer? God, give me just enough. Some of us today would be afraid to pray that prayer, wouldn't we? I'm not trying to bust your chops. Uh, that, that prayer scares me a little bit. To pray, God, would you give me just enough? Uh, even right now, saying it out loud in front of you, I'm a little embarrassed how much fear I have. Because uh, I don't want just enough. Uh, I want lots. I want extra. And, and the amazing thing about our God is God often does give us extra. And then he, the Bible talks about other places too. It talks about our, the call to generosity and the call to celebrate and the call to feasting. And that's all great. That's all good and holy. But this little prayer is different, isn't it? Give me, give us, don't forget about the us, today just enough. And while we're thinking about the relational context of this prayer, we, we get to the next line, which is also focused on our relationships. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, we're going to focus on this prayer, I forget, three or four weeks later in the series, we're going to talk about why prayers of confession and forgiveness are such an important part of getting your prayer life unstuck. So I'm going to give this more attention later, but for now, I just want you to notice something, that Jesus in this prayer is inviting you to change the rules. It, the invitation is, it goes something like this. He's like, there, there are one of two ways the world can work. Either in the world, we're keeping score or we're giving grace. Those are the two ways the world can work. Uh, one of my sons and I, we went and played some pickleball when it warmed up yesterday. And uh, we were both pretty rusty. Hadn't played in a long time. And, um, but we were also, you know, trying to do our best. You know, I was trying to win. 
And so at, at first, you know, nothing was going anywhere. But finally, I kind of got one serve back that I could get under control again. And so that was all I did the rest of the day, like just that one serve, because I was there, I was, play, I was keeping score, you know. Um, but both of us wanted to practice. We wanted to get better. We wanted to, you know, get better. And so at some point, I said, hey, why don't we quit keeping score, and let's just start practicing our serves so I could try some stuff that wasn't working out and some stuff. And it totally changed our day. And this, this says that life is sort of like this. Um, our, your relationship with God can be based on keeping score. And if that's how you are establishing your relationship with God, if you're trying to keep score, you lose. Your relationships with other people can be based on keeping score. And if that's how you navigate your relationships with other people, they lose. And you lose. So I mean, that's just a little heads up. Maybe you got a marriage and y'all are keeping score. I know who wins. Not your marriage. Like, not y'all two. Parents, kids, y'all trying to navigate a relationship and you're trying to see how it works out and you're keeping score with each other. I know who loses that. Everybody. That's who loses. And Jesus says, or we could do it completely differently. You could just, in this prayer, enter into a totally different world where God brings grace into the equation and God says, I'm not going to keep score. I'm not going to keep an accounting of debts you can't repay. And in this new reality, you'll stop counting their debts that they can't repay either. It invites you into a whole new reality. We're going to talk more about this in a few weeks. Last line. And lead us not into trials, but deliver us from evil. If I could paraphrase this, this line, it's something like this. Oh, Father, don't take me to the hard places in life. But if I find myself there, would you please lead me out? I mean, just, this is just this simple prayer of dependence on God, recognition that the world is hard, and we often do find ourselves in hard places. Oh, Father, don't take me to the hard places in life. But when I'm there, oh, please, please lead me out. And that is Jesus' lesson on prayer. That's the whole lesson. Simple, cosmic, personal, communal, intimate, difficult. And, and God wants you to learn from this lesson. And, and we're in prayer school, right? So the last thing you do in prayer school, right, every good teacher knows is everybody takes out a clean sheet of paper and they have to write down their homework. You put it in their folder, take it home. So you get your homework home, right? So let's, let's have a little homework. We'll keep it real simple, okay? I am going to do my homework and I hope you'll do your homework too. We're just going to every day 
practice our lesson. Every day, pray this prayer. For some of you, it'll just be the words of the prayer itself. You'll just pray the very prayer. Maybe, though, you'll let these words kind of help you come up with your own words. Our Father who art in heaven, God, thank you that you want that kind of relationship with me. Help me to treat you like a good father and I, your loved child. Give us today our daily bread. God, please remind me of the people who really aren't sure where they're going to eat today. Teach me to be satisfied with enough and not always want more. I, I just want you to do that. I want you to be unstuck in prayer. I want to ask you a year from now, I want to ask you, so tell me about your prayer life. Better, worse, about the same? And I really think, I, I don't want anybody here to say, eh, about the same, you know how it is, you know, just stuck. I want you to say, actually, it's a little bit better. I mean, not a lot. I still got a lot confused and I don't have it all figured out. And, but, but it is. I, I'm a little more in touch with God. I'm a little more related to my heavenly father. I'm a little more aware of the family I'm a part of. So this week, do your homework. Every day, practice, practice your lesson. And the next week, we'll talk about a different place. You might be stuck. And we're going to let the Bible just guide us to some new, new directions. Right now, I'm going to pray a blessing on my fellow classmates. Uh, challenge you by the Spirit of God to do your homework. And then an invitation to know that your Heavenly Father is rooting for you just every step of the way. Let me pray a blessing on you. God, it's good to be in prayer school again because I want the lessons you have to teach me. And I want them for these, my fellow students, my brothers and sisters, because they are your sons and daughters. Um, give us the strength by your grace to do our homework this week. And let this prayer you taught us bear fruit and give us a sense that we could be unstuck. There might be a, a path out of this traffic jam we've been in for far too long. And we're just going to trust you to lead us and teach us in the way you desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.